Today is November 2nd, 2020. And, well, the election is tomorrow. Hello, hello. Welcome back, friends and family. It's Split the Difference podcast with Austin Taylor. And can you believe it? It is the day before the election. We're going to get in to all the good stuff. We're going to look at the left. We're going to look at the right. And we're going to try our best to figure out what's going on in this crazy world today. If you are new to the podcast, welcome in. Thank you for joining us. The purpose of this podcast is to be a political and basically just a, a time to look at both sides of the aisle. All right, we're going to look at politics and we're going to try and have a level head. We're going to try to be reasonable. And we're going to do our best to look at both sides and split the difference and find the truth that oftentimes lies in the middle. Uh, today is probably not going to be a long podcast because the purpose of today is going to sit down and we're going to look at what's going to happen with the election. I'm going to give my analysis and I may even give my predictions, which, you know, probably are going to be worth absolutely nothing here in about the next week. <laughs> so let's go ahead and let's hop on into our only story of the day. Election 2020. Right now, everything does not appear to be neck and neck if you're simply looking at the polls, okay? If you're only looking at the polls, Biden is up pretty significantly all the way across the board outside of a couple of swing states, right? I think that the overall total Biden is still holding a lead of about seven and a half to eight percent, which is where he's been at for the past week or two. He, Trump has closed it a little bit. At one point, I know right after, um, right after the first debate, I think Trump was behind by like thirteen points or something like that. So uh, Trump has closed has definitely closed the gap a whole lot. Uh, the Real Clear Politics average has Biden up around. Eight or so, and it has been that way, like I said, for about a month. Trump, I will say, I think that Trump has done a good job of getting out and campaigning hard for the past couple weeks, especially after he went through his whole bout with coronavirus. He went back out and hit the campaign trail and has been going city to city to city. I mean, the man has made in the past like day or two, has made like seven or eight stops in different rallies. So, he is out there, I mean, campaigning hard right now. But we also know that most of these polls aren't right. And the reason why we know that is because the majority of the polls were extremely wrong in 2016, especially in the swing states, especially in the places where it mattered. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and look at the electoral map that you can find on Real Clear Politics right now. You just search up Real Clear Politics if you're listening to this, and you can find the uh, basically the supposed electoral map where they're going to show you uh, pretty much dead set blue states, states that are likely to, to lean more blue, toss up states, uh, likely to lean Republican, and then likely, and then, you know, pretty much dead set to be on the right side of the aisle. Um, the interesting thing about this map is that. I, there are so many states, so many states that are toss-ups. I mean, when you're when you're sitting down and you're looking at what the, like this map looks like, there are a good portion that are going to be, you know, you just you just you know they're going to vote blue and you know that they're going to vote red. Like California is a dead set blue state. Um, Idaho and Wyoming, North and South Dakota, those are all dead set red states. Like there's no way you're going to flip those to the other side of the aisle. But 
there are so many states that historically have leaned much more right wing that are, you know, honestly kind of, you know, kind of toss up states. And there's a lot of states also that um, Trump won last time around that are toss ups. Um, Oddly enough, funnily enough, Texas is considered a toss up right now because Trump is only up by polling data by like 2% in Texas, which we will get into that in just one minute. But if you look at the map, there's really only one thing that's certain, and that's that absolutely nothing is certain. All right. There are about 125 delegates that are up for grabs amongst all of the different states that are uh, that are looked at looking to be swing states slash uh, kind of a toss up. So, um, well, I guess I guess we can go ahead. Texas is such a good example. We've got to go ahead and talk about it. So, Texas, Texas has 38 delegates. Okay, that's a lot of delegates. Second only to California. And over the past couple years, or really over the past 10 years or so, there have been more and more and more people moving into Texas. And there's been a lot of people, especially in cities like Austin and Houston, there's been a ton of people moving into Texas from more left-leaning states like California. If you go on YouTube and you type in California Exodus, or if you type in I'm leaving California, you will get a triage of random celebrities and YouTube channel stars that are all basically going through and being like, this is why I'm leaving California. I'm leaving California because of this, 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 and this. I, I mean, there are, I mean, the number of videos are absolutely endless. And I think that we are finally starting to see a lot of that actually play out in Texas in real time in the polling data. So Texas right now has had more early voters come in and vote before November 3rd than the entirety of the voting electorate in 2016. That is crazy. That is absolutely startling, um, especially considering by polling data, the majority of the people that go and vote early or vote by other means outside of voting on election day are oftentimes more left-leaning voters. Don't necessarily know why that is. That just is the way it is. So if the majority of those people that voted early are Democrats and there are more people that have voted in Texas at early voting than there were in the entirety of the voting electorate in Texas in 2016, then I do not think this Texas is nearly as red as we, as you know, the entire country always thinks that it is. So um, there's going to be absolutely record ter voter turnout there. And if Trump loses Texas, he loses the election. Like, hands down, there's no way around it. Texas used to be this deep, deep red state. And with the amount of people that are moving there from California or Oregon or New York or... I mean, there are so many blue and left-leaning people moving to Texas that they are actually starting to turn it much more purple. So... Um, Let's. I guess we can sit down and look at what what does Trump need if he's going to win. So, uh, if Trump's going to win, he's going to have to win very very similarly to how he won in 2016. Uh, he came through and basically flipped a ton of states that the Democrats didn't think that he was going to be able to flip. He flipped Michigan. He flipped Wisconsin. He came through and like got Pennsylvania. He got Florida, and he picked up a lot of these states that all of the a lot of the Democrats were like, ah, you know, I think that we pretty much have it. Like Hillary Clinton didn't even go to Wisconsin and Michigan to campaign because she was like, I've got those on lock. I'm not even worried about it. I need to be much more focused on Pennsylvania and Florida. If he's gonna win it, he's has he has to win all of these states. So right now, Trump 
if you're looking at what he has, he's got right around 125 delegates. Okay, that are, he's pretty much got nailed down. Biden has 216. All right, and that's because he's got the big state of California and he's got New York. Those are pretty much on lock, deadlock Democrats every time. So if Trump wants to win, he's going to have to hold Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Ohio, Texas, and North Carolina. And that is only if he holds those states, and that also includes if he if he holds all the states that he has a solid lead in. So if all of the delegates that we're basically attributing to Donald Trump right now, that we think he's got a solid hold in those states. If he hold all those, holds all those states and he wins in all of those eight states that I just named, then Trump will be at 200 and I believe 71 delegates. If he were to lose Wisconsin, then he would need to pick up Arizona or maybe Minnesota, which he lost Minnesota last time and he won Arizona in 2016, but he is not doing great in Arizona right now at all. Neither is Martha McSally, who is a, a Republican incumbent running for Senate there. Uh, we, we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about Senate races, but uh, Arizona is definitely turning blue. So if Biden wants to win, then he's just going to have to hold the lead in the polls that he has in the states right now. So earlier when I'm listing off all of those eight states that Trump would have to win, right now he's behind in every single one of those except for, I believe, Georgia and Texas, okay? And I think he's got a small marginal lead in Florida. No, maybe. He might be behind in Florida by one point. So um, all of them, of course, are extremely close, but in a lot of those states, like... Trump, Trump is, he was behind by a significant amount in 2016. I get that. And he flipped him, but he's also behind again, a significant amount in 27 or in 2020. So, um, he's going to have to flip a lot of States in order to hold him. Biden, on the other hand, he's up in the polls pretty much all the way across the board. All he has to do is just hold his lead. If, if Biden just performs the way that the polls say that he's going to perform right now, he's going to win in a landslide. But it was the exact same way with Hillary Clinton. If Biden just wins Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina, he'll seal it. That's it. That's all Biden needs. If he gets all of the states that we think that he's going to win that are, you know, more than likely going to vote all blue, you know, you're talking about like Massachusetts, Delaware, New York, California, which he's going to win those states. If he goes through and he wins those, and then all he flips is Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina, Biden wins the race. So the interesting thing is, if you look at how Trump won in 2016, you will see why, number one, it was such a surprise in 2016, but number two, you'll see how he could absolutely pull this out again. So he was down almost the same amount going into election day that he is right now. So in Wisconsin, Hillary was up by seven and Trump won it. Right now, Biden is up by six. In Michigan in 2016, Hillary is up by five. Trump won it. Now Biden is up by seven. In Minnesota, Hillary was up by 11 points and she won it, but only by 1.5. Biden is up by 4.7 right now. Uh, Florida, it was a tie. Trump won it by 1.2. In Pennsylvania, Clinton was up by four. Trump won it. Biden is now up by four. Uh, in Georgia, Trump was up by five and then Trump won it by five. Right now, Biden is up in Georgia by one. So when it comes down to it, a lot of these states that Donald Trump was way, way behind in in the polls, he ended up coming through and either winning 
or make it, bring it extremely close. Like the one that I think is the most surprising is actually a state that he lost, which is Minnesota. Trump was down 11 points in Minnesota and cha- flipped the poll by nine and a half percent. Nine and a half percent. That's how far off those polls were. That is mind boggling. Like it makes you look at those, like the polls in the swing states and be like, are they like, are they even calling Republicans? Like, what are they like? How are they that far off? So there's a couple things that we've got to consider here when, with this whole election. Okay. And this leads into my prediction of what I think is going to happen. One, the first thing is the incumbent advantage. An incumbent has not lost, meaning somebody that was already in the presidency that is running again for the presidency, has not lost since the 90s with George H.W. Bush, which is actually a little bit of a different, uh, it was a different situation because Reagan was in for two years, George H.W. won again, and then he was going to be running to be a a fourth-term Republican president, which would have been extremely difficult to do. And he won by not a huge margin to Bill Clinton, who which who, who was a, an incredibly powerful or incredibly popular candidate at the time. So first thing is the incumbent advantage that Trump has right now. The second is that I absolutely believe that there is something to be said for people that will be quietly voting for Trump. I do. I think that this is what happened in 2016, and I think that this is what's happening right now. People were ashamed, or at least not willing to admit, that they were going to be voting for Trump in 2016. They didn't feel comfortable saying it. They didn't want to tell people out loud, either because of the public scorn or because they honestly just did were not super proud to be voting for Donald Trump because he is kind of a big old piece. But that is much, much worse now. It's way worse now than it was in 2016. There are very few people that I know that are are or will be voting for Donald Trump that are wanting to put a sign in their yard that says Trump Pence. The only people that are willing to do that are the people that are either on the far right side of the aisle or they're the people that are just like, I don't care at all what anybody thinks or says about me. That's not a lot of people. So I think there's definitely something to be said about the fact that Donald Trump has a lot of supporters right now that aren't walking around tweeting out, oh man, like I'm camp- I'm the biggest Trump supporter in the world. Uh, man, I, he's my president. I really hope that Donald Trump wins. And it's because of the way Donald Trump carries himself, right? A lot of Republicans think that Trump's policy has been fantastic, but him, he himself, the way that he talks and the way that he carries himself is oftentimes so awful that they're like, I'm just going to not say anything and then just vote for him quietly in the booth where nobody else can see it. So the third thing is that I think there's a large amount of more moderate and independent voters that will not want to vote on the Biden ticket because they don't want to vote for Harris. This was, So Biden choosing Kamala Harris was a very, very calculated move. Maybe not, probably not even done by Biden. It was more than likely done by the DNC and a whole bunch of the higher ups there in the Democratic Party. But they recognized that Joe Biden was a much more moderate candidate, quote unquote, than the rest of the candidates that were up on that stage that he was competing with. And that's honestly why Joe Biden won the nomination. Okay. The entirety of the Democratic electorate is not extremely far left wing. They're not. Most of them are much more moderate, okay? But there's an extremely, extremely loud, far-left portion of the Democratic electorate. 
That's why the only people that you hear about on the left side of the aisle are like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Bernie Sanders. Like those are the only people that you hear from on the left side of the aisle. And they are by far the most far left leaning portion of the Democratic Party. So the Democrats realized that in order to be able to satisfy and get out that 5 to 10% of the Democratic electorate, they needed to pick somebody that was extremely left-leaning. They also wanted somebody that was a black, and they also wanted somebody that was a woman. Well, there's not that many people out there that are extremely left-leaning, that are popular in, pop, in politics, and are a, a, is a black woman. And so they went with Kamala Harris. Now, I think that there are going to be a lot of people that look at the Biden and Harris ticket and they're not willing to vote for that because Kamala Harris has, according to her Senate record, been extremely left-leaning for a long portion of time. When they were in the Democratic primaries, Kamala Harris was coming out saying absolutely awful things about Joe Biden, calling him racist, calling him misogynist, all kinds of stuff. And... She also fully endorsed Medicare for All. She was the Senate, one of the Senate co-sponsors on the Green New Deal. So, like, she votes extremely left-leaning. There are a lot of independents and moderates that are going to look at that and be like, oh, man, like, at least I know what I'm getting with Trump. Like, I don't like Trump. I don't like what he does. But, like, I can't vote for somebody that in the Democratic primary was voting for socialist health care because most of America is not ready for Medicare for all. Most of America is not ready for socialized health care. So uh, I, I do think that that is going to have a huge play into it leading into the presidential election. So for my prediction, I think it sounds pretty obvious right now, but I think that Trump is going to take it again in 2020. And I, I think that it's going to cause a gigantic uproar across the country but I see him, honestly, not just winning the Electoral College, but I also see him winning the, the popular vote as well. I mean, I would not be surprised if Trump comes through and he, he shakes up and gets 300, around the same amount of delegates that he got last time, and he starts to pull in a lot closer to the popular vote as well. I don't necessarily think it's because Trump has done the best job in his presidency. I don't think that Trump has even done a great job of convincing the American people that they need to give him another four, another four years. But I think that Biden, just like Hillary Clinton, is a uniquely poor candidate for the Democrats. There are so many candidates that the, that the Democrats could have chosen from that would have been much more moderate, that would have been uh, ready and able and willing to take on the presidency and energize an electorate. And they chose Biden. And I think the reason why they chose Biden is, well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but Biden is going to tote the party line. He's going to do pretty much what the Democrats want him to do. And then they're able to put in and have somebody like Kamala Harris come in and establish herself for a long time if she gets in as the vice president. Well, I think that a lot of the American people are going to look at that and they're going to be like, well, like, I guess I know who Joe Biden is, but like Trump is who I've got right now and things haven't been that bad over the past four years. Like, yes, he hasn't done the best job in the world. Yes, he drives me crazy sometimes with the things that he says and does, but I just, I, I, I don't see the American people coming through and, uh, and voting out Donald Trump right now, even as much with even with as much of the push that the Democrats have been giving for Joe Biden over the past year, really year and a half. 
So with all that, there's not just a presidential election. There's also senatorial and House races as well. So let's hop in and take a quick look at those as well. So um, not many people are thinking about the Senate races and the House races, but honestly, they are just they're probably more important than than the presidential race right now. Um, so in the Senate, there are nine seats that are pretty that are pretty much a toss up. The rest of the seats that are up for grabs are like, you know, Mitch McConnell. Like Mitch McConnell's not going anywhere. Cory Booker, New Jersey, he's not going anywhere. Okay, he's pretty much said himself. So um, nine of the seats are are toss up. We don't really know which way it's going to go. Seven of them are currently a Republican seat. Recurrent are currently Republican incumbents, and two of them are Democrats. So a lot of these races are extremely close, like within the margin of error. And, um, and a lot of them are in places where even like a month or two ago, it was not close at all. A great example is right here in South Carolina. So Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison are, I think like three, uh, uh, Lindsey Graham is only up by like three points, four points, depending on the poll you're looking at. And Lindsey Graham was up by like 17 points in February and March. The Democrats have been just pouring money into this race to try and get Lindsey Graham out of here. And Lindsey Graham performed really poorly in his debates against Jamie Harrison. So uh, South Carolina, I know as a whole, is not a huge fan of Lindsey Graham, but South Carolina is a pretty deep red state, all right? It's got a couple of little, you know, blueberries in the tomato bowl, right? If you're looking at specific cities or like Columbia or Charleston or Greenville, but for the most part, South Carolina is a deep red state. I would be pretty surprised if Lindsey Graham got voted out. But in places like um, Arizona, uh, the Republican Martha McSally is behind almost five points in her race. Uh, in North Carolina, Representative uh, Republican Tom Tillis is behind almost four points against uh, Cal Cunningham, the Democrat there. So right now it seems like the Democrats just need to hold their two seats that are a toss-up right now, that they are up in, the polls in, and then flip four seats and they have the majority. That's it. They have to just flip four seats in the Senate and they have the majority. And uh, I think they've got a very, very solid chance of doing that because of the amount of money that do that uh, the entirety of the Democrats have been putting into elections all across, all across the country. And I think that Donald Trump, although he's very good at igniting his base around him, a lot of that, a lot that message does not carry nearly as far for Republicans that are you know running for other races around the country. You have to, as a Republican nowadays, you have to one endorse every single thing that Donald Trump ever does in order to win. But at the same time, it that ends up disadvantaging you and more uh, races where there's more nuanced language around what's going on because the electorates around the country are, are just going to be different, right? They're going to be different. They're going to be more nuanced and. A lot of people, just because you are endorsed by or you endorse Donald Trump, is not going to win you the election in a whole lot of places. So, um, very, very interesting. So, the Republicans, in order to be able to win, would need, uh, in order to be able to win the Senate and keep everything uh, the way they are, is they basically are just going to have to hold all of the seats that they have that are toss-ups. Just hold those seats, make sure that they don't go anywhere, um, and if they don't do that, they're going to lose the majority in the Senate. So, um, in 
for the other side of the offer, I guess the other side of Congress uh, with the House, the Democrats have a very, very, very solid chance of holding the House and establishing a solid majority. So they only need in, in the House need to win eight seats that are a toss up in order to be able to keep their majority. The Republicans would need to win 36 seats. They need to flip 36 seats in order to be able to uh, get a majority in the House. I don't see that happening. So um, at the when it all comes down to it, what I think is going to end up happening is that the Democrats are going to hold the House and they're going to flip the Senate while losing the presidency. If that were to happen, I think that if Trump won the presidency and the Republicans lost Congress, he would see way more pushback and he would be he would see way more attack from Congress than he saw at any point in time over the past four years. I think that you'll probably see them move to impeach him at some point or another and remove him from office. I think that you're going to see Democrats uh, fighting every single thing. doesn't matter if it's good for the country or if it's not good for the country. They're going to push and to attack Trump on every single level at every single chance that they'll get if that ends up happening. So we'll have to see because... Well, obviously, I don't know. Um, right now, Trump is significantly behind in a whole lot of the polls, so uh, he absolutely could still lose. But I don't see that happening. I think there's going to be a lot of people that show up on on uh, on election day here tomorrow and vote for Trump that otherwise, you know, you wouldn't think would be voting for Trump. So um, at the end of the day, though. All of this could be completely different here in a couple weeks. We have no idea. I mean, North Carolina, which was won by a pretty thin margin last time around, is able to continue to count mail-in ballots until November 12th. Pennsylvania, which I believe was one of the closest margins in, to ever be won by a president in all of election history, um, is, can also continue to count votes until, I believe, November 6th. So... We're not going to know the answer to this um, on the 4th, on Wednesday. We're not going to know the answer to this probably until Friday or maybe maybe even the week after that. And both Biden and Trump are gearing up to be able to fight this in, in the courts for weeks and weeks to come. So buckle up for a wild ride because it is not going to be an easy next couple of weeks, to say the least. So with all of that being said... Let's go ahead and hop on in and finish this up with something that made me smile. So, something that made me smile this week. This is going to sound extremely random, but I'm, I'm the type of person that's always looking for a good deal on something that is good quality. No, this is not a commercial. I, so, I went into uh, World Market. I don't know if any of y'all have any World Markets or anything around you, but went into World Market and realized that I was able to go in and buy Full two-pound bags of coffee, good coffee, for like $10 for 24 ounces worth of coffee. I don't know if there's any of y'all out there that are big coffee drinkers or you you know, you know enjoy, you know, especially that dark, rich coffee. I love that in the morning. So I, feel, I found out and I realized that I could go into World Market and get fantastic coffee for probably that's the cheapest that I've been able to find good coffee. So if you like good coffee, if you enjoy it, Go and check out a world market because, you know, pro tip, they've got some really good coffee and it's pretty cheap. So with all of that being said, that is the show to, for today. Like I said, it's going to be a little bit shorter. Goal of this is basically just give you my prediction. Let's see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow and uh, see how all this plays out over the next couple of weeks. 
Thank you for tuning in, for checking us out. If you're new, give us a like, subscribe. Look me up on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast with one T. Look up my website at Split the Difference with one T.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. Split the Difference. Check me out. Drop me a like, a subscribe. You know, give me a good review. Let me know what you think. I really enjoy being able to do this, and I've enjoyed the feedback that I've gotten so far. So, if you have any questions, hit me up and let me know. Thank you for tuning in. As always, remember, we're going to be reasonable, we're going to keep a level head, and we're going to always split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.